on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I'm Cody Goodwin, and joining me today are midweek mainstay fellow staff writer Mike Rodak. Mike, I think it's really important that we have the right mindset going into this game, that we write and report and podcast with the right energy level, have the right focus to execute and cover this game at a very high standard, uh, mostly because it's our first SEC road game of the season. What say you? I say I was not surprised to hear that from Saban this week. You know, that's kind of the typical after a big win, you know, you're trying to avoid the letdown game. And, um, you know, we hear that a lot, especially, you know, FCS week. That will be coming up in November against Chattanooga. You know, we'll be hearing Nick Saban talking about, you know, keeping the right energy and the right focus for that game. But there's some parallels to Mississippi State because I think it's, it's probably their easiest SEC game. It usually is most years. Um, I think the past five years they've outscored Mississippi State 182 to 22. So it's usually one of those games you're like, yeah, you know, from our standpoint, you know, they're going to win. And I think Nick Saban is trying to guard against his players thinking the same thing. Um, you know, is it going to be closer than usual? We'll get into that. I think there's probably some evidence that it might be. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this is, again, still their easiest of their eight SEC games. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we will we'll touch on that briefly. But if there's anything I've learned about Saban, just from watching him from the outside and then getting to see him up close, really, for the last few months, it's that he he seems to be a little bit more on edge during the games where he probably knows and everybody knows that his team is uh, favored. Um and I actually, I talked to Rosh Pierschbacher this summer um, about a lot of things, but I like, I ran that theory by him that just like, I think he just like wants you guys to like play not a perfect game, but like he obviously wants you to continue to play at a high level, even if it's like a lower tier team or like a team you probably should handily like crush because, you know, if you, if you can do that against a lower tier team, you can do it against, you know, the LSUs, the Tennessees, the Georgias, those types of things. But like, if you show that you can't or won't, or for whatever reason, don't do it against those lower teams. Like that's when we see the neck vein. That's when we see him yelling on the sidelines. Like it's, it's it pride in performance. Like it's, it's a cliche, but like that, like that's, that's why, right? Like that's, I don't know. That's my theory at least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that he'll often say, like, you know, if you're going to get up for those big games, like, what are you waiting for? Why are you not doing it for those games? Like what's, what's holding you back? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, he didn't seem like he was in the greatest mood Wednesday morning on his SEC conference call. Carried over, I'd say, to some extent Wednesday night, just listening to him. Um, and he said, you know, players have been pretty good this week, but he wasn't he wasn't quite as positive as I've heard him the first four games this season. So 
Uh, you know, whether that means he's seen a little bit of a slide this week or, or whether that means he's just trying to prevent one. Sometimes it's tough to tell, but, you know, we'll hear from him more Thursday night during his radio show. And sometimes you can get a feel of kind of where his head is at um, about the team this week. 100%. We will uh, we will discuss Alabama-Mississippi State uh, to the Crimson Tide play on Saturday, 8 p.m. on ESPN. Um, nothing like a super, super late, not quite SEC after dark, but still a pretty late game. Um, got a fun show for you guys today, though. Going to play a little game with Rodak where we assess a few specific players after the first four weeks of the season. Um, obviously going to talk a little bit more about Saturday's game. First, I wanted to start here. Mike, you've been in and around the SEC longer than I have, around college football longer than I have. Mike Leach is no longer with us, passing away last December. Um, his death really shook up the sports world, um, and especially um, you know those inside the college football world. Just huge impact, charismatic figure. Um, you know, full believer and practitioner of the air raid offense, uh, found varying levels of success at Texas Tech, Washington State. And I thought, you know, building something similar, I thought, at Mississippi State before he passed last December. I wanted to ask, as someone who's kind of been in and around um, not just college football, but really the SEC, where, you know, he sort of made another dent, um, you know, just kind of in, in the college football world. Do you, do you have a favorite Mike Leach story? Like, I know you probably didn't run into him, you know, one to one as often as maybe, you know, the Mississippi State guys, but. Um, you know, I imagine you got to hear a lot more from him once he made the move to Mississippi State, right? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, I still don't know if I think of Mike Leach as like an SEC guy. You know, obviously he's from California originally, you know, coached Washington State and Texas Tech. So it wasn't, you know, just SEC wise, like that was kind of new to him. I think he did have a stint at Kentucky, you know, back in the 90s as their offensive coordinator. Um, I think he actually played Nick Saban's defense one of those years. Um, but other than that, it really wasn't until 2020 when he got hired by Mississippi state. And then it was that first game against LSU, um, you know, they came out and they won and he had the whole, you know, the, the wagon and, um, you know, the pirate ship and some of the quirks and things about him that, you know, it, it made it fun. It, it's obviously, like I said, it's, I think most people would agree, like among the SEC West, like Mississippi State's kind of the most boring, least successful school lately. And so he brought some more um, juice, a little bit more attention to it. You know, that was good. It made those those first couple games a little bit more fun um, when you're listening to Mike Leach conference calls and, um, you know, SEC media days. I remember him, you know, the I, I guess 2020. There wouldn't have been an SEC media days his first year because I was COVID. But 2021, I remember asking him a question about NIL. And you just never really know what he's going to say um, and how long his answer will be and kind of where he'll go with it. Um, you know, so that was fun. Um, you know, it was only three seasons that he was here in the SEC against Alabama. And, you know, like I said, those games weren't really terribly competitive. Um, but, you know, personality wise, I think he was someone that a lot of people liked. So, you know, obviously, you know, we'll be missed. Yeah. Super, super interesting figure. It was always fun to kind of hear the stories of him, you know, um, you know, just like interview with, you know, writers and reporters and he'll call them up and, you know, they talk for an hour about literally not the thing that the writer and reporter wanted to go ask him about. Right. Because he's just like an inquisitive person. Um, you know, I think it was, I hate to give them credit, but the athletic ran a really neat story on like, you know, stories about coaches with like headsets and just the funny stuff that gets said. And, um, 
I feel like Mike Leach would have been really perfect interview for a story like that. Cause you just wonder what he says in the midst of, you know, like a heated intense game. He probably pops off and says something like super like random or something or other to just like, I either to like calm everybody down or like, he's just thinking random thoughts in the middle of a football game. And I don't know. I, 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 I obviously didn't cross paths with him at all, but like, you know, he was such a interesting figure in the sports world that you hear about him. Um, and so a little bit of a bummer that, um, we won't get to see him and obviously a huge bummer that he won't be on the other sideline come Saturday night. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, get the sadness out of the way first. Got a new segment here for today's show. I'd say segment. It's just kind of a, a game that I'm calling stock up, stock down, pretty self-explanatory. Now that we're four weeks into the season, figured it was a good time to, um, take a look back at some players. I've got five players whose stock I believe is trending up. Five more players whose stock I believe is trending down. We'll go back and forth and kind of discuss what we've seen from these guys so far. Rodak um, has no idea that I've picked these guys for this specific conversation, so it should be fun. Kind of curious to see if you'll agree or disagree with who I picked here. Um, but let's start with stock up. This might be an easy one after what happened this weekend and what Saban said. Um, but Jalen Hale, stock up. True freshman receiver from Texas. Had two catches for 63 yards against Ole Miss, including a 33-yard touchdown catch. Um, Hale seen a steady rise in snaps as the season has progressed. Uh, played, I believe, 19 snaps against Ole Miss after he played 19 total through the first three weeks. This may and probably should lead to a larger conversation about Alabama's wide receiver usage through the first four weeks because it's been really confusing. Um, but the young guy is not only getting opportunities, but he's taking advantage of them, too. Yeah, clearly a stock up sort of guy. Um, and someone I noticed too, I think it was a South Florida game. So two games ago, and you're kind of watching warmups before the game and they'll have 11 on 11. And then there's usually, you know, you have your two starting receivers, but then there's usually two other receivers that rotate in with the first team offense before they go to the second team offense. And those are typically like your number three and number four guys. And I think for the first part of the season, first two games, it was, you know, Burton and Bond on the outside. And then you would see Benson and like Kendrick Law or Benson. I think even Kobe Prentice, you know, one of those games will line up. And then all of a sudden, South Florida, you see Burton, Bond, and then it was Benson and Hale. And you're like, whoa, you know, Jalen Hale's out there. Um, so that was certainly surprising. And you go back to fall camp and he was probably running like he, they would have, you know, those two by two wide receiver groups that they would show on practice tape and he was like the fifth group. So you're talking at that point, maybe the ninth or 10th receiver, something like that. And so for him to move all the way up and be, you know, one of the top four guys essentially is that that's a, that's a big movement. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's usually practice habits that, that get you there. Um, you know, earning the trust of coaches that way, you know, for a lot of players, it's special teams contributions. I can't think off the top of my head of anything, that really stands out that he's done on special teams, but he might have been out there on a couple of those units and that certainly helps. Um, but he's also a big body, you know, he's, um, his exact height, I'd have to pull up. I think he's six, one or like six, one, one ninety. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's a little bit of a bigger receiver and their biggest receiver last year was really Ja'Cory Brooks, um, in terms of a big body guy and, you know, the hail, Ascension has really corresponded with Ja'Cory Brooks not being back with that first group. I mean, that's really been the case since the start of the season. But you'd think like after that suspension for the first half of the first game, maybe he starts to work back in and gets a bigger role. It hasn't really happened for Ja'Cory Brooks. 
And so that really opens up an opportunity for Jalen Hale. And that's, you know, he's, he took advantage of it. The two big catches had a touchdown catch. Um, you know, consistency is still a big problem for this receiver group in general. So, you know, does that mean he does anything this week or the next week? We'll have to see. Like, there's certainly been guys who've had big games and then they'll come out the next game and have one target and zero catches. Like, that's that's happened a lot both this year and, and in recent years. So can he keep it up is, is the big question, but he's obviously on the rise. Yeah. Um, well, and it's funny you mentioned Ja'Cory Brooks because my first stock down name is the junior receiver originally from Florida. Brooks had 39 catches, 674 yards, eight touchdowns last year, uh, 15 catches, 192 yards, and two touchdowns the year before that. Uh, former five-star prospect, top 30 overall recruit so far during what was setting up to be a breakout junior season. Ja'Cory Brooks has one catch for two yards. Um, we're four games in. It's a little confusing. Again, I know you and I have talked about it um, probably more off air, but just like really confusing to see how Alabama is using their receivers, um, you know, and I think the the lack of Jacoy Brooks, I mean, it's not for lack of targets. They're really trying to maybe not force feed him, but they're getting him opportunities. And, you know, for various reasons, he just hasn't produced, um, does have a blocked punt last week against Old Miss. Um, we also learned, like you mentioned, broke a team rule in some capacity, which caused him to miss the first half of the season opener against Middle Tennessee. But in three and a half games, he's played 45 snaps, has just six targets. Um, probably, again, part of the conversation about Alabama's receiver usage, which Corey Brooks trending way down. I, way down might be kind of harsh, but um, just haven't seen it from him this year. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was going back and looking at the box score from last year's Mississippi State game, and he was their leading receiver by far with 74 yards. And um, it'd be hard to imagine in this game. I guess I can't rule it out, but it's it's been strange. You know, and I asked Nick Saban after that Middle Tennessee game, not just, you know, why was Ja'Cory Brooks not playing? And he kind of swatted that away, but also, like, what have you seen from him during fall camp that led up to that? And Saban really didn't say anything. And that actually might be a good sign, to be honest, um, that it's not something that is um, is very bad for him. Because I think back to like a Jai Hall, who was before your time, but, you know, pretty highly rated kid who came in two years ago at receiver and did not go well and had a suspension for a game. And you asked Nick Saban about him and generally Nick Saban would kind of tee off on him and, you know, what he needs to do better, habits, off the field, academic, et cetera. Same thing with um, Jaleel Billingsley, you know, two years ago when he had some issues at tight end. So if he doesn't like a player off the field and what they're doing, he actually will say it. And so for him to kind of deflect the question on Ja'Cory Brooks and not really want to inflame the situation might actually be a good sign. Um, nobody's really asked about Brooks uh, specifically to Saban since that, that first game. It's something that now that we have a, a larger sample size of him not doing much. I think it's, it's obviously gonna be worth the question here soon. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still the, you know, we talk about the warmups and where guys are lining up and for him not to be one of those top four guys with the first team and warmups is, is a bad sign out of the gate. Cause usually he's I, really all the time he's been with the second team and he has gotten some snaps in the game. And like you said, they're rotating through so many different guys where, um, it's hard to have consistency and have any sort of momentum when, I mean, there's seven receivers that they're rotating through now. I mean, Burton, Bond, Benson, Prentice, Law, Brooks, Hale, seven that we're seeing. I mean, the only guy that we haven't really seen 
or two, I guess, would be like Shaz Preston hasn't played much and um, the other freshman, Jaron Hamilton. So, you know, I think it's a case of trying to see what sticks and trying to find a guy that's explosive and will we'll give them what they've been missing the last couple of years at that position. Um, but I think it's also hard, you know, for a guy like Brooks to try to get back into the mix when he's only getting these opportunities here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of this could be, you know, situational personnel type thing, but, um, you know, to your point about them just cycling through receivers and just how confusing it is. I mean, based on snap counts, Jermaine Burton, number one, Isaiah Bond, number two, Malik Benson, number three, 62 snaps, not a ton of targets, but he's on the field, you know, and then you get to Brooks, Prentice, Law, Hale. Like, it's just, it's, it's just confusing. And Saban said something to the effect this week that just he needs a little bit more consistency, but it's also like, you know, is, is that a practice habit consistency like you alluded to? Um, because they're just, you know, outside of maybe Burton and Bond, there's not a lot of on the field consistency, right? Like Benson's getting a lot of snaps, but not a lot of targets. So it's like, are you just having them out there to, you know, run sprints, you know, just to kind of mess with the defense a little bit? Or I, I don't know. That's uh, obviously that's something that has piqued my interest quite a bit because I just, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. And it's changed a lot from how that used to be. I remember like 2020, and granted, Jalen Waddle got hurt pretty early in that year, but it was Devontae Smith, Waddle, and then Mechie, and then Slade Bolden. That was kind of the third guy once Waddle went down, but really nobody else played besides that. And there was it was a storyline because Saban would even say, like, we need to get our young guys playing time and reps, and there was pretty much none of it. It was just those three guys would play 100% of the snaps combined. Um, even the, the year after that, 2021, it was – Williams, Jamison Williams, and John Mechie, and Slade Bolden. And nobody else really got any sort of meaningful playing time. Well, last year, and especially this year now, it's completely flipped over where there's not those two guys. And it's just seven or eight guys kind of flying through. And I think they're trying to find those two guys. If they could find – I think one of them probably will be Jermaine Burton by the end of the year. But if they can find someone next to him that they can rely upon, you know, to be an explosive – presence in the passing game I think they'll stick with those guys more I think it's it's a lot of throwing against the wall right now and, and kind of seeing what sticks interesting tactics indeed we'll see if there's any clarity coming up this weekend okay next stock up Dallas Turner edge rusher really hit his stride the last couple of weeks um, got shut out through the first two weeks um, but the last two weeks against South Florida and Ole Miss he's racked up four and a half sacks um, that's currently tops in the SEC and tied for third nationally. He's also got six and a half tackles for loss, 22 total pressures, the third most nationally per pro football focus. Um, he's been impacting games much more in recent weeks. Numerous reasons probably play into that wicked production. Um, but he's starting to look like the guy that's got that All-American potential, and he's being targeted by NFL draft gurus as potentially one of the first defensive guys off the board next spring. Uh, he's, it just seems like he's truly playing like it. Um, you know, I know South Florida's offensive line's not great. Um, Ole Miss clearly, um, I think Alabama exposed their, um, you know, front five uh, pretty handily last Saturday. Um, you know, but I guess it's just it's it's nice to see, you know, after the first after the quiet first couple of weeks, Dallas Turner playing like the guy that we all thought he could. You know, right? And that was a big story coming out of the Texas game. Was you know a lot of people concerned about? I think it was what zero sacks, zero pressures, zero quarterback hits in that game on Ewers and, you know, Turner, when I asked him about that game, kind of explained it saying, you know, Texas is going to run a lot of seven man protections. That is a big part of Sark's offense. 
you know, keep the tight end in, keep the running back in. Um, and they were going to get the ball out pretty quickly, which, you know, they generally did. Um, and that, that, you know, there was no pass rush in that game. That was a problem. That was a big story. And yeah, the last two games, and you'd expect it against South Florida. Like if Dallas Turner was not dominating that offensive line, I think NFL scouts in that press box would, you know, have some issues with that. Um, that was a game where he needed to show up big time. And he did that, that in, I mean, that was a bad South Florida team that we were watching there. Um, and then Ole Miss, you're like, all right, this is more SEC competition. Let's see how he he does against that. And really well was the answer, um, you know, against some a better offensive line, obviously, than South Florida. Not, you know, probably not the best offensive line in the SEC, but it was much higher level of competition. Um, you know, by all accounts, a good offensive coordinator who can kind of scheme things and stop those guys. I don't know if Lane Kiffin did. Um and yeah, much better performance and just have to see how it, it goes over the year. Obviously sacks aren't always going to be the, the end all be all of, of what his, um, his production is, but you know, right now it's, it's, it's uh, kind of a Will Anderson sort of pace. Um, if he can keep it up, you know, four and a half through four games. And um, I forget exactly what Anderson finished at last year, but you know, if you're right near the top of the country right now, you know, a third of the way through the year, then, um, you're putting yourself in a spot to be right near the top of the country by the end of the year, which is where Will Anderson was the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I think he ended last year. Will Anderson did with like 67 total pressures, um, just an absurd number. Um, but I think another thing to keep in mind too, is that um, Chris Braswell um, believed 20 pressures through four games as well. So it's not just coming from Turner's side. Like you got two uber productive pass rushers, coming at you at all times. And I think that's only going to bode well for both of these guys, especially, you know, one thing noticed um, from the Ole Miss game, a lot of interior pressure too. So things seem to be clicking or coming together for the front seven for Alabama. Um, Stock down, Justice Haynes, superstar running back recruit, 29 rushing yards on four carries um, in week one, and literally nothing since then. Um, It's got some special team snaps. Nick Saban has said both Haynes and Jam Miller are both ready to play, capable of playing at a high level. But the lion's share of the running back touches have gone to Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams. Uh, Jam's gotten a couple touches here and there. Could be a game-by-game situational thing, but just haven't seen Justice Haynes yet. And that's uh, worrisome, confusing. I don't know. What do you think? It's a tricky situation for Nick Saban. Um, And I was even listening – to the SEC conference call the other day when Sam Pittman from Arkansas was talking, somebody asked him about the SEC travel roster being expanded from, I think it was 74 to 74 now. And one of the first reasons that Sam Pittman mentioned was it gives more players a chance to travel uh, because mentally there's a value to that to prevent players from getting upset and going into the transfer portal. And so it kind of shows you, and this is something that coaches wanted. They, they petitioned the SEC for this. It kind of shows you where coaches are, where trying to keep players out of the portal and keep players happy is becoming a big thing for them. And I sense that there's in in Nick Saban's public comments on justice Haynes, that there's an element of that going on where he's giving encouraging words about, you know, I think this guy's going to get playing time, but you know, before the season's over, his role is going to expand. We've heard those sort of things from Nick Saban, Um, very positive sort of reassuring, um, you know, it's, it's going to come along. We're going to see it. And my gut feeling on that is that it is trying to keep Justice Haynes happy um, in a situation where, you know, before the transfer portal was what it was, what it, what it is right now, 
you might hear Nick Saban say, well, you got to earn your playing time. You know, you got to do everything right. And that's how you get on the field. Um, it's a little bit different messaging from, from Saban in this case. And again, I think you have a five-star prospect. You had a great spring. You know, maybe it was slowed down a little bit by, you know, the quad injury in August. Um, but you know, is probably going to be a really valuable player for you next year. And you got to keep him happy while at the same time you have two senior running backs in Roydell Williams and Jason McClellan, who are pretty reliable in terms of, you know, they're going to do the right thing in the field. They're going to pass protect. Um, you know, Roydell Williams had a great second half against South Florida. Jason McClellan had a great second half against Ole Miss. And so I don't think Nick Saban's jumping at the opportunity to take either one of those guys off the field or take them out of the rotation or, or give them less carries, but you're trying to keep them happy or you're trying to use them, you know, to the best of their abilities. And that's the best thing for your team while also trying to keep justice Haynes happy. And we saw, you know, his, I think we talked about it last week, his dad's tweets responding to other people about it's a million dollar question about why he hasn't gotten on the field yet. And again, that's the reality of, of college football. I'm not, trying to single out Justice Haynes. I'm sure there's other players in the roster who are thinking like, am I going to get on the field this year? You know, it's already four games in. Am I going to see the field? Should I transfer at the end of the year? That's, that's how things work these days. Um, and so, you know, against Mississippi state, if you're able to get a lead, I think it makes sense from a big picture standpoint for Nick Saban to give Justice Haynes some carries in the second half if not for any reason other than trying to keep him happy. And again, that's different than how he's operated before. But um, I, I think he's wise enough to understand that's how you probably need to operate this year. Yeah. And I think uh, to your point, you know, if, if Alabama's up big late, um, let the kid get some touches, let the kid get some carries. I think that was what they wanted to do against South Florida, right? In a perfect world, they're up big and similar to middle Tennessee, like a lot of those younger guys, get more touches um you know obviously the game plan changed when it's you know three three at halftime and they're just trying to get out of there with a win and everything seemingly the, the sky is falling quite literally in that game um you know so i wonder you know if they're up you know four or five possessions at the start of the fourth quarter do we see justice haynes take them home um you know i think that would be one encouraging for him to you know maybe that you know with a strong performance, maybe that earns him more time. You know, I think I, another thing to consider four games in, he's only seen time in one game, you know, is, is Saban potentially thinking red shirt because I, you know, the other thing too, Jason Roydell are gone next year. Um, they're going to have jam justice Haynes and Richard young seems like young's in line for a red shirt this year. You know, do you, do you want to keep Haynes in red shirt potentially? Um, you know, I know that there's, you know, they might use him on special teams as well. So maybe they ultimately burn it. Um, you know, so that way you, you know, you get to keep him basically for another two or three years, or at least offer him up the decision to stay for another two or three years. I don't know. There, there's a lot of different things at play here. I Yeah. And the red shirt thing, I think, has lost some momentum um, for the higher level prospects, which Alabama, 75 percent of their their recruits are going to be, I think we're going to call blue chip prospects, like, you know, top 150 guys. And for those guys, I think the value of for the team, like saying, you know, we're not going to play you this year because you already have four games and you're going to red shirt. Well, if you do that, I think you're risking losing the guy through the portal. And for a lot of these guys, the fifth year is not going to come into play. Like Justice Haynes, if he's the player that we all think he could be, he's in the NFL before his fifth year. So you might have some lower level guys, you know, like a 
a Cole Adams, you know, the wide receiver, the three-star kid. Or, yeah, maybe a red shirt makes sense. You give him an extra year to hang around, and five years from now, he's your Slade Bolden. Um, I think for the higher-level kids, I just don't think it matters. Like, I, I think they all view themselves as going to the NFL in three or four years, and that having that extra year is just – especially for the guys now that it's over. But a couple of years ago, guys had their COVID year, too. So they already had an extra year to use. And then you add a red shirt on top of that. It's like how many guys are truly going to stay for six years? Um, so I, I do think the value of or the meaning of like burning a red shirt versus keeping it, I think for the top half of your prospects every year, it probably doesn't matter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, next stock up, stock down is uh, it's kind of similar to the first two. A two for one special here. Stock up, Robbie Oots, uh, junior tight end slash fullback hybrid. I don't know if that's officially his position the way it's listed anymore, but I remember seeing that somewhere. Um, but Robbie has seen an uptick in playing time in recent weeks. Last two games, he's played 62 snaps. First two weeks, he played 27. Um, still not super productive tight end in terms of pass catching, right? Just two catches for 26 yards this season. But he's a willing blocker, a kind of a hard hat, lunch pail, dirty work kind of player that I know Saban probably loves. Um, in fact, this is what Saban actually said about Robbie Oots this past week. Quote, um, you know, I think we trust the guy to do what he's supposed to do. He's done a really good job of executing during the games and doing the things that he needs to do for us to have success on plays. Uh, that kind of dependability is important. You can say what you want to say. You can be better than somebody else, but you've got to play better. I think that the, that's the thing that Robbie's doing is he's playing better because he's doing what he's supposed to do. He understands what he's supposed to do, and he's been very effective in doing it. End quote. That pairs with my next stock down, Amari Nyblack. Sophomore tight end who seemed prime to become a breakout star for Alabama this season um, just because of his pass catching ability and also Tommy Reese's proclivity for using tight ends. Um, but for, you know, and through the first two games, it looked like it was bearing out, right? He played 84 snaps, four catches, 94 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but the last two games, 42 snaps, just one catch for three yards. Uh, Nye Black still the second most snaps out of the tight end room with 126 this season. CJ Dupre has the most at 143. But clearly, Amari Nye Black has seen a steady decline in playing time, while Robbie Oots has seen a steady uptick in playing time. I believe those two things are related. Maybe I'm crazy. What say you? No, I think they are. And we, you know, there's four tight ends that were really in the mix at the start of the year. You add Danny Lewis to that, you know, group of Dupree and um, Nye Black and, and Oots. And I don't want to say it's too many, but it was like it's hard to get four tight ends, any sort of legitimate playing time during the you know the course of the year. So I think part of that might have been experimenting with, you know, what do we want to use? And as we talked about before, like Oots and Lewis are more your blockers and I black and, and Dupree are more your pass catchers. And it's almost like you're having a competition between those two roles. Um, 
And and so there, I, I think, yes, Utes probably takes away some playing time from the, from um, Nyblak, but it could be Dupree too. Um, if you want to have one pass catching tight end out there and one blocker out there, again, to try to avoid telegraphing your intentions to a defense, um, then those two guys seem like they they have elevated. And it, again, it could be more Utes versus Danny Lewis than it is Utes versus Nyblak, but I do think it is a case of Nye Black not being a great blocker. And so if you do have him out there with Dupree, you're really sacrificing too much from a blocking standpoint. Um, and that's that kind of leads to having Oots out there. So you at least have one good blocking tight end. You have Dupree who can catch a pass, maybe not nearly as dynamic as, as Nye Black can be. Um, it's just trying to find the right combination. So, you know, Oots is a guy who I don't think we've talked to him yet. I can't think of a time that we have um with alabama's kind of you know they're very tight with the players that they allow to talk to us but you seem like a guy that might have a good personality i i never spoken to him i I don't know but he has the mullet and the mustache and players seem to love him um you can kind of become a cult hero i think if he makes a few plays and uh people kind of hear from him and gets his face out there a little bit more so um yeah, it's it's just one of those lunch pail type of guys that you know the stat line's never going to be great with him, but I think they they really seem to like what he does on film on a down and down basis. And we heard that from Saban this week talking about um you know he's basically does it better than than the other guys out there. And again, I I think part of that might have been Lewis. I think part of that might have been Nye Black. But right now it seems like Dupree and Oots are um the, the two guys they want out there at tight end. If you're if you're in twelve personnel and you know you got Cody Goodwin clapping about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now it makes me wonder. I'm I'm thinking real big picture here. Like, I wonder, and I'm sure Tommy Reese has plays in his playbook, and I'm sure Nick Saban has a few plays in his playbook. How do we feel about 13 personnel, right? Because Robbie showed that he can catch a little bit, right? Like he had a 20-yard catch against Ole Miss. Um, obviously not his the the at the top of his, you know, football skill set, but like he showed an ability. Um, I think Dupre is a willing blocker. Um, Nye Black kind of treats blocking as optional. Like we've seen it, we've seen some good things, right? Like I, I like I remember against Middle Tennessee, uh, Milrose second touchdown run, that 13 yarder around the edge. Like Nye Black was the lead blocker on that when Milrow decided to keep it. And he did enough for Milrow to get around the edge and score the touchdown. Um, but then he's also had, I mean, I'm just in rewatching all the games, he's had a few too many plays that he just kind of takes off. And it's just like you know, like maybe hold your guy for a split second, you know, just to create that hole or do something little. I don't know. Um, obviously that, you know, Saban asked a lot out of his tight ends and as he's shown, and as he said, if you don't do all those little things, you're not going to get the opportunities to do the big things. Um, you know, but I do wonder, I wonder, I mean, I wonder about that. And I also wonder, you know, when do we get to see 13 personnel, right? Like that's when things get really interesting, right? Because are they all going to block? Are they all going to run routes? You just, you don't know. I don't know. Like that's could, could be interesting. Alabama's favorite um, off, former offensive coordinator, um, Bill O'Brien, has unveiled 13 personnel up in New England. In fact, it worked. Mac Jones had like a 50-yard touchdown to their third tight end, Farrell Brown, the other day. So maybe they should bring back Bill O'Brien if they want to go to 13. Perhaps. Um, you know, that could be the Iowa in me, or it could also be, you know, the, the Chiefs last year. Originally, I'm originally from Kansas City. They were the most efficient team out of 13 personnel last season, um, and they did all right last year. So, you know, maybe, maybe I just naturally want to see more of that because my favorite team does it a lot. 
I'm surprised to hear that. The Chiefs don't seem like a 13 personnel team, but I guess that was a thing last year. Travis Kelsey, Noah Gray, and Blake Bell, baby. That's okay. That's all you need. <laughs> I guess we lose Tyreek Hill. That's what you got. Uh, stock up. Uh, Kendrick Blackshire seen an uptick in playing time. Uh, just 17 snaps total through the first two seasons. He's now played 68 snaps in four games this year, including 23 against Old Miss. Um, he's a guy that just does a lot of stuff, right? Like 68 snaps. He's recorded 13 tackles, a tackle for loss. He forced and recovered a fumble, and he has a quarterback hurry. Uh, very productive with the snaps that he gets. And since Deontay Lawson's dealing with a sprained ankle, Nick Saban said that he's very questionable, um, you know, heading into Saturday's game. Fair chance that Kendrick Blackshire and Jihad Campbell probably going to play a lot more on Saturday. Maybe earns a few more opportunities moving forward if he continues to play at a high level. Pro Football Focus rates Blackshire as Alabama's actual top overall defender on a snap-by-snap basis, fourth-best run defender, second-best tackler, top coverage linebacker, and a top-ten pass rusher. Um, I like watching Kendrick Blackshire on the field because I never know what he's going to do, but I know it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's um, I remember Middle Tennessee State game. He got some playing time and did a lot in I think it was 15, 20 snaps, something like that. Um, and you're right. He didn't really play very much his first two years. And they, um, you know, he was a decently rated recruit, but they brought in transfers like Henry Toto and then they bring in Tresman Marshall this year and they bring in Justin Jefferson as a Juco transfer. And so that, you know, sometimes is a sign that they don't feel great about the high school recruits that they have on the roster. Um, and so, you know, especially this offseason, you bring in both Marshall and Jefferson and you had Lawson as a starter. And that kind of creates a roadblock for, um, you know, for Blackshire to get on the field. But Blackshire is really beaten out Justin Jefferson, who's a player I think people were high on in the summer, but hasn't. You know, he's basically a third team inside linebacker right now, plays special teams. Um, so he beat out him and then you kind of had the Jihad Campbell and Sean Murphy pairing. And, you know, Campbell, I think, has risen higher than Murphy at this point. Um, and then you have Lawson go down. And so all of a sudden it's Marshall and Blackshire and Campbell are your top three. And, um, you know, Campbell is the one who can move a little bit more, I think, than the other two and a little bit more athletic. Um, whereas, you know, Marshall, and I think Blackshire are a little bit more physical. Um, and so you probably see those two guys rotate um, next to Campbell. Um, I, I would be surprised if we see Deontay Lawson in this game. I don't think it makes sense to rush him back um, for Mississippi State. You know, when you have a, or you have A&M and Arkansas and Tennessee coming up and, you know, maybe he can get back for A&M, but I don't think it makes sense to rush him back right now when, you know, you still have some bigger games that are more important than this one, quite frankly. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's a good position for Alabama. I, I think they're, they're deep there. Um, it's, it's a position where, I don't think it's an issue, um, to be honest right now. I think that's among the defense, I think, you know, one of their stronger spots. Yeah, 100%. Um, and if we get to see more Kendrick Blackshire, uh, sign me up for that because he's just – he's a fun player because you just you just never know what he's going to do, but you know he's probably going to be effective whenever he does it. Um, stock down, um, Christian Story, senior safety, just hasn't really played um, the last three weeks. Played 27 snaps against Middle Tennessee in week one. Um, but just four total snaps over the last three weeks. He entered the season in a battle for one of the starting safety roles, decisively lost that battle to Jalen Key. Um, you know, just one of those guys that we kind of had our eye on and just haven't seen this season. Yeah, exactly. Um, that happens. Um, it's it's obviously a position where they had a good look at him in the spring, knowing that they had lost Jordan Battle and DeMarco Hellams, knowing they had a freshman in Caleb Downs. Uh, they're probably going to move Malachi Moore to star. 
So there was an opportunity in the spring. You know, it didn't seem like he convincingly won anything because then they went out right after the spring and they got Jalen Key. And that was, I don't say the death knell for Christian story, but it was obviously a bad sign. And, um, you know, we never really was able to beat him out in August. And he's a guy who is, he is what, class of 2020? Because he's a senior this year. And so he does have that COVID year that he can use to come back next year. Um, and Jalen Key is a six-year guy. And so he's out the door after this, after December, Jalen Key's gone. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for Christian Story to make one last run at it in the spring and try to earn a starting role next year, uh, next to Downs. Um, you know, it's a possibility, but there's also, I think they really like Jake Pope and Jake Pope seems to be on, on the rise where he's one of those second team guys. So, you know, maybe it's Pope, maybe it's story, maybe it's a transfer they bring in, um, at safety, maybe it's Tony Mitchell, like Tony Mitchell is a guy I think, you know, they, they seem to like as well. So, you know, there's probably one last chance for story in the spring. If he's still here, if not, then, you know, it's, it's a guy who probably, it, it makes most sense for him if he wants to go to the NFL to probably go somewhere else and try to start somewhere else. Yeah. All you need is one good season at Alabama. So uh, one of those early spring football, you know, subplots that we'll probably be monitoring um, as the rest of this season goes. One final stock up, Tim Smith, senior defensive lineman that Saban said was a little too up and down during fall camp but he's been mostly up through four games this season, primarily as a rotational piece on the D-line. He's got 15 tackles, um, one and a half sacks, and a couple of pressures through four games this season. He got the start against South Florida because Jaheim Otis missed that game, um, but that was his most productive game, Tim Smith, nine tackles, followed it up with, I would argue, his best performance against Ole Miss last week with a sack and a half. Um, i uh, written about this. It's on Bama 247. Please go check it out. But the defensive line rotation is really kind of starting to form. Um, and Tim Smith is a pretty crucial part of that through the first four weeks of the season. Yeah. And he was an important player last year too. Um, you know, especially in the pass rush and, and kind of rotating in and, um, you know, got the start against South Florida because of Otis. And, you know, that's a team where, again, it's, you're expecting him to do big things. Um, and the way that South Florida was kind of running their offense, it was very compact. And it was just a lot of quarterback keeper type stuff and runs right into the defensive line. <laughs> It was not the prettiest, uh, not the prettiest sight from South Florida. So it does, it probably helps the defensive line kind of pad their numbers a little bit. But um, you know, the Ole Miss game, like you said, was obviously a different situation, and and you know, played well in that one too. Um, was clearly one of the top four guys, which is not a surprising thing. I think that's kind of going going into the year. It was honestly, people thought it'd be Tim Smith, Otis, and Justin Boyby, and then we kind of had the surprise of Tim Keenan. Um, you know, really emerging in fall camp and then Otis moving outside. So, you know, that probably knocked Tim Smith down a peg, but he's still going to get a lot of snaps. And um, a guy who, you know, is a senior this year at the end of the year, you can see being a mid-round type pick in the NFL. I don't think he's – he's probably not on the level of a Byron Young or Phil Mathis who went in the third round. He's definitely not on the level of a Christian Barmore or, you know, Quinton Williams in terms of, like, really disruptive guys, but a solid – five technique end um, can probably play three technique at the next level too. And, you know, be a guy who hangs around um, I think on an NFL roster for a little while. hundred percent. One final stock down Trey Amos, similar to Christian story uh, lost cornerback battle um, that kind of lingered through the preseason to Terry and Arnold um, who's become one of the more productive energetic members of the Alabama defense, but he got a lot of run last year. Um, so I didn't include him in the stock up, but Trey Amos, 
Uh, played quite a bit through the first two games, 59 combined snaps. Uh, since then, just six total snaps. Uh, seems like he's more almost exclusively a corner, whereas like other pieces of the defensive secondary, a little bit more versatile. I think the lack of versatility is ultimately what's kept him from seeing the field more. Um, and then also, um, you know, he got a few snaps against Texas. And as soon as he got on the field, Sark was like, we are going after that guy. And they were very productive on those plays. Yeah, the touchdown with with Adonai Mitchell. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily the reason why he hasn't played too much. I think it's more uh you know personnel matchups where they've been in a lot of nickel and so amos is he had two paths to the field in the first couple games he was either rotating with arnold as a you know base corner which you know people there's still doubts about Terran arnold coming into the year like he had very up and down sort of play last year it's something saving even mentioned this week like he had to get more consistent um and he's done that and that's obviously kind of closed the door for amos to be a starting corner one of their top two guys but then the other path for him to get on the field is through the dime, you know, and had six on the field, Arnold would move inside and Amos would be um, their sixth defensive back, but on, on the boundary, they haven't really played dime, you know, since then um, the last couple of games. So Florida wasn't going to spread it out like that. Um, and um, Ole Miss didn't really do that quite as much where they were in four receivers. Um, they were pretty much sticking in nickel the entire game. Now, if this was old school Mississippi state with Mike Leach, Alabama would be in the dime the entire game. And we'd probably see a lot of Trey Amos unless, you know, there was some sort of switch and they wanted to play Tony Mitchell or somebody. Um, but it just, it's going to depend on how many six DB packages they want to play based on, you know, what their opponent is doing. Um, and we've seen Alabama, you know, they're, I think they're still trying to stop the run. Like they're still, even when they go to nickel, there's a lot of three defensive linemen type of thing um, where they'll just have either one of Turner or Braswell on the field, as opposed to doing, kind of the two four nickel as we've seen sometimes where it's two big bodies and then Braswell and Turner on the outside. So it just, there's not as much dime. And I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen Amos. hundred uh, percent. That was stock up, stock down. Um, fun little conversation about a handful of players, um, some good, some bad that we've seen. And for some that maybe we just haven't seen a ton through the first four games this season. Real quick. Um, wanted to get your quick thoughts on Alabama, Mississippi state. This is a mismatch on paper. Um, Alabama should probably roll even without Deontay Lawson. Um, again, very questionable as Nick Saban said, Wednesday night, just likely means more Jihad Campbell, Kendrick Blackshire. Uh, but Mike, what ultimately do you want to see from Alabama this Saturday? That will probably, that will give you confidence about this team's future, um, moving forward. Um, I guess that's, that's maybe, you know, just looking at it, mismatch Alabama should probably walk in and take care of business, but what's the one thing you want to see? Faster start. I mean, their first halves have been across the board worse than their second halves. Um, and cleaner game where, you know, Jalen Miro needs to stop throwing bad interceptions. That was still an issue against Ole Miss. Um, they need to stop the killer penalties. That was still an issue against Ole Miss. Um, and I think, you know, run the ball more consistently. Um, you know, the, the passing game consistency is all over the board. Like they've had the big plays, but the overall production is not there. So getting better in all those areas, I think, is is kind of what they need to do. It's it's a Mississippi State team that I think honestly would be a better showing from them than what we've seen the last few years. Um, because philosophically, I think they're able to have a little more balance and run the ball. Like I think it was just an easy defense or an easy offense for Alabama's defense to figure out the last couple of years. It was just pass, 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 two by two formations, and Saban has just shut that down. The air raid offense has has no shot against Saban. Um, so maybe it's different, you know, this year, but 
Yeah, it's an, it's a really experienced Mississippi State team too. I was looking at the roster. Nineteen out of their twenty-two starters are either fourth or fifth-year guys or sixth-year guys. So it's a team that this is obviously their season. Um, I mean, they already have two losses. Not like they're going to the playoff. Not like anybody was expecting them to. But um, this is this is always really their biggest game. This and in the Egg Bowl. So um, you know, do they show up and and kind of make some noise in a game that you know a lot of people probably will be not watching because it's going to be in the middle of the night. Yeah, no, they experienced team um, still capable, talented quarterback and Will Rogers. Um, there's a lot of nice pieces, but I think the combination of just, you know, philosophical changes also first year head coach, Zach Arnett. Um, you know, I think that's why I'm looking at Alabama as like probably the heavy favorites on paper here um, to tag along with the fast starts. I want to see the offensive line continue to make, t- take improvements. Um, I felt like they took some pretty good steps forward in the second half against Ole Miss. Um, I want to see them continue to do that. Um, you know, let's, let's run block a little bit better. Let's continue the strong pass blocking. They didn't allow any sacks in the second half. Um, part of that might've also been Milrow's elusiveness a little bit. Um, you know, but let's see that, let's see them continue to take steps forward. So encouraging second half. Um, and I want to see a little bit more of that. Mike, that's all we've got today, man. Thanks for joining me as always. Um, you're kind of the midweek staple, um, so I appreciate you chatting with me today. Like Saban said on Monday, when you look at the film and things work and we do it right, why was that? Mostly because it was things that were within our control, our execution, our fundamentals, and our fundamental discipline. Um, and I appreciate you always uh, executing at a high level with me during the midweek on Roll Pod. I try. <laughs> we'll be back Sunday or Monday to recap this Saturday's game. Uh, 8 p.m. start time. Um, It's going to make our schedule a little interesting, but both Mike and I will be in Starkville to provide coverage of the game. So be sure to follow us both if you haven't already. In the meantime, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. Subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Uh, Guys, you can get uh, the subscription first first month for a dollar and then $10 for a month uh, thereafter for the best coverage of your favorite team. Take advantage of that, especially if you're an Alabama fan. Thank you so much again for listening. We will talk to you again soon.